Today's reading is from Romans 13, verses 7 through 14. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify gratify its desires. Thank you, Steve. Um, let's start with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we pray again for um, our dear friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lafoon family with Ron's passing. Uh, Father, as uh, Tim and Michelle have traveled home, I, I pray that um, they would still have connection to their mom, that we would, as her church, care for Rachel as she needs, and uh, Lord, that we would walk through her, walk through the grief with her as uh, as friends and as brothers and sisters. And so, uh, Lord, and I pray for us as we deal with Ron's passing as well. Um, we are grateful that he's with you, but we will miss him too. And uh, Lord, I want to pray for our nation, our world, but specifically for our area in uh, relation to the, the pandemic. Uh, Father, gratified to see the, the hospitalization numbers declining. Uh, and uh, the, the, we pray for your common grace to work within the government, to work within the agencies that are distributing the, the uh, vaccine. Lord, would you help them work out the logistics and would you lead them to um, a way to distribute it well. Father, you granted us uh, rapid development of uh, many viable vaccines. And so we just ask that you would continue that work in our world and uh, ensure that those vaccines can be distributed um, smoothly and, and, uh, and quickly. And Father, I wanna pray also for the parts of the world that are not receiving the vaccine just yet. Uh, Father, we think of uh, our nation and, and we tend to forget about the rest of the world, but uh, Lord, as we have um, many doses of it, there are, there are nations that don't have any. And so we pray that we would look at the world in your eyes and see it not as, as a division of nations and, and those kinds of things, but Lord, as the, the family of humanity, that Lord, we are all made in your image. And so we pray that you would work out a way for us to distribute the vaccine to those in need, um, not just in our borders, but, but around the world as well. Uh, Father, that is just a, a mark. It is a demonstration of your common grace that you have given humanity the ability to 
understand the world that you created and uh, come up with these creative ways to uh, fight the implications, fight the results of sin. Uh, Father, we pray that you'd be with us now as we look to your word. Uh, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and minds. Lord, that you would make this message sink in deep and challenge us and, and call us uh, to walk in the manner that you are desiring for us. And so, Lord, bless our time in your word now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, um, finishing chapter 13 now. Uh, it's still in the context of what Paul has been saying really from the beginning of chapter 12. So we'll kind of refresh that as we go. But what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see what we owe, how we pay, and where to find the resources. So how we, what we owe, how to pay, and where to find the resources. And by the way, if you've ever heard any Tim Keller sermons, you've just realized I channeled my inner Tim Keller because that's how he does all his outlines is who, what, and why, or that kind of thing. So... Um, the, the, I backed up to verse 7 because uh, that break between 7 and 8 is not in the text. It's, it's artificial. It's inserted in our Bibles. And it just seemed like 7 and 8 really fit together because it's talking about owing and paying. So um, Paul reminds us to pay taxes, revenue, respect, honor. And then verse 8, he says, owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another fulfills the law. Now, I've heard in the past verse 8 offered as a reason for Christians to never be in debt, um, in financial debt. And that's not bad advice, but that's not what this verse is about. Um, and really, and if you think about it, debt in our day, financial debt in our day is, is a bad thing. It's, it's really being misused. Credit card debt and student loan debt are way out of reasonable proportions. National credit card debt in the United States is somewhere around $416 billion, and the average interest rate on that is 20, 20 and a quarter percent. That, that's out of bounds. That's, that's not reasonable. Student loan debt in America is $1.5 trillion, and the interest rate on that is an average of somewhere around 4%. So debt is, financial debt is really a problem, and, and we need to address it. So like Dave Ramsey says, get out of debt. Do it as soon as you can. Just don't use verse 8 to justify that, because if you look to verse 8 and say, that means I've got to get out of financial debt, you've made verse 8 way too easy to obey. You've brought it down to a very manageable level, and that's not what he's talking about. In context, what Paul says is he's not talking about finances. Sure, he says pay your taxes, but he's not talking about personal debt. The personal part of this, uh, this section, when he talks about it, is proper relationships, not money. That's much more difficult. Um, it, it's possible to write checks and pay off debts. It's a lot bigger of a challenge to have a proper relationship and to do what he's about to tell us to do. So what he says is, owe no one anything except to love each other. Um, so in the, the verse, what he's talking about here, he says each other, he's, he's probably talking about loving people in the church um, and, and to owe them nothing but love, to owe them just, just exactly what you should give them is, is supposed to be love. So repay your debts as quickly as you can. Pay your taxes fairly and on time. Show respect to elected officials. That's kind of the, the context of what he, technology is great until it's not. 
and then it's really not. <laughs> so I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, I just disappeared, but uh, I'm back with you. Where was I? Oh, so what Paul says then is he says, why should we owe this debt of love to each other? For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So now he goes from love the saints in the church to he generalizes it to love another, just love in general. I didn't have this problem yesterday in class, but uh, for some reason, uh, Satan's trying to interfere with my internet signal. Um, so yeah, so what, what Paul says is, is the one, anybody in general who loves another, um, so this, this concept of just loving another is a fulfillment of the law. And he, he generalizes it, he puts it in, in rather large terms. And so what it reminded me of was back in chapter two, uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. For when the Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show the work of the law is written on their hearts when their consciences also bear witness, and their conflicting thoughts either accuse or excuse them. So that's that idea of this, this law of love is a general law. It's not simply the, the Mosaic law. It's one of those general laws that applies to everybody. So when anybody in the church or out of the church loves another, when there is that showing of love to another person, they are fulfilling the law. They're keeping the law. Um, that's one example of, of what it meant. So that's that's what we owe. Is to. And by the way, Paul's not done generalizing this. We'll, we'll get even further with who we're supposed to love. Um, so what he says is he says, start by owing love to the church, to the, the household of God, but then also look outwards as well and, and take it out, take it beyond our walls. So that's what we owe. We owe, we shouldn't owe taxes and respect and stuff that, that you can pay. What we should owe on a regular ongoing basis is love for each other, love for the other, love for other people. And so then how do we pay that? that? That's a pretty big burden. So here's here's where Paul is going to begin to explain how we pay that. Um, verses 9 and 10. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So Paul appeals to the Ten Commandments, at least to the second tablet of it. And he's, he's carrying his argument about love, fulfilling the law. He's carrying that forward. So if you love your neighbor, you're not going to murder him. You don't kill people you love. If you love your neighbor, if you really have that kind of an attitude toward your neighbor, you're not going to steal from him. But it gets a little confusing after that. Um, committing adultery in one distorted understanding of love. Isn't that loving your neighbor? Um, that's making love to your neighbor, at least. And, and coveting. Isn't that a form of love saying, boy, I really like what they have, and I really wish I had it. Um, it, it almost sounds like those parts are love, but what we're going to see is that's not really what love is about. Um, in committing adultery, you're loving one of your neighbors, but not the other one. You, you have violated their marriage covenant. And when it comes to coveting, that's a strong desire for something that's not yours, but it's not loving because what it is, is it's a disordered love. It is a discontentment with what you've been given. It's a turning upside down of what love is supposed to be. So 
what Paul is commanding here when he says, look to these commandments and see what love looks like, love for your neighbor, is it doesn't do those kind of things. Your love, your desires are not disordered where you would covet something that's not yours. That's not love. That's, that's a consuming desire. And so then he says, and if there's any other commandments. So Paul only cited four of the, the uh, commandments in the second table. He didn't mention lying or respecting your parents. But he kind of sums that all up, and he says any other commandment. But I don't think that's enough. I don't think that's what he meant is just the other two commandments in the, the, um, the second table of the, the law, because he could have mentioned them. They're pretty short. He could have just kept saying that. I think what he's looking at is the broader context, the bigger context of what the law has to say. So, for example, it would include things like Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue him with it. So that's the idea of fulfilling the law by loving your neighbor is, is even if it's your enemy, even if it's somebody you have problems with, the result is action. Remember last week we said love in a biblical context is a feeling, but it's a feeling that results in action and it's seen in, in, in accomplishing something. So loving your neighbor is doing good for them. So love does not wrong a neighbor is what Paul says. So how do you repay that debt of love? You do things. You, you don't just sit in your house and, and, and fold your hands and think nice thoughts about them. Um, you're doing things for your neighbor. You're, you're engaging in them. You're, you're seeking out their best. Um, Paul's clear when he says that we're supposed to love our neighbor. Remember, I, I said it was generalized. First of all, it was love the household of God. Then it's kind of in general. Now it gets a little difficult because he says you're supposed to love your neighbor. And when Jesus was approached by a lawyer and the lawyer said, well, who's my neighbor? Thinking he was being clever and getting out of the, the uh, problem. Jesus told him the parable of the Good Samaritan, and the Samaritans were detested by the Jews. They were half-breeds. During the, uh, the um, Assyrian exile, the, the king had brought people from other nations and planted them in, in Samaria, and they intermarried with the Jews and the Gentiles intermarried. They had corrupted their religion. Um, the, the, there is a thing called the Samaritan um, um, Torah, that is kind of a, a, an adulterated version of the Bible, uh, the Old Testament Bible. They uh, retooled the stories to fit their, their, um, their culture. They made it sound like Israel is the one who went astray, not Samaria, not, uh, uh, or uh, Judah went astray, not Israel, the, the northern tribes. Um, even before the exile, even before that happened, as an Orthodox Jew in the first century, looking back, you would go, yeah, but those northern tribes, I mean, they immediately set up idols. They worshiped Baal. They did all of these horrible things. So when you look at Samaria, you see just this, this real burr under your saddle. They are so wrong on so many things, and we just can't have anything to do with them. They were the Jewish, uh, they were the Jews' weird cousins. The, the weird cousin that you didn't want to invite to Thanksgiving because they're so bizarre. They're, they're uncomfortable to be with. But what Jesus said was, yeah, but those are your neighbors. And so when you have to show love to your neighbor, that's who you have to show love to, is the one you're uncomfortable with. So he starts with love the household of God. That should be easy or at least easier. 
Then he says, just in general, love anybody. And now he makes it really pointed by saying your neighbor, he's like, oh man, even the people that you don't like, even the people that you're uncomfortable with, you have to love them. And he says, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So why should we love like that? Why should we love our enemies and, and take care of them when their car breaks down, help them fix it? Uh, why should we love our enemies and, um, and be good to them when they're just out of touch? They're, out, they're wrong about everything. It's because love like that is a fulfilling of the law. It, it, is, it is God's law that we're talking about here. And God's law is not just some arbitrary set of rules that he said, here, I'm going to throw these out and, and that'll work. It, it is God's view of the creator of the universe says, this is what it should be like to live in this universe. And so he gives his law and he says, this is what, is, this is what true living is like. It's an expression of who he is. It's an expression of who God is. It's an expression of what he wanted the world to be like. So in that sense, love is the fulfilling of the law because love was God's original design for humanity. We broke that. In, in the fall of Adam, we saw in chapter five, sin entered the world, sin spread to all men, death spread through sin, and now we're just in this horrible mess. But that wasn't how it was supposed to be. And so this idea of love fulfilling the law is really the image that we're being conformed to. That's, that's the image of Jesus that we are being conformed to is that kind of love. Look at what Jesus did. And what you'll see is the, the enacting of this because Jesus said, I didn't come to nullify the law, I came to fulfill it. So Jesus comes and he's loving his neighbor in ways that we couldn't understand, in ways that his apostles were just blown away by. Um, when Samaritans refused to, to uh, receive them at one point, his disciples said, hey, should we call down fire from heaven on him? And, and Jesus is like, no, you're not loving your neighbor that way. So that's how we're supposed to repay it. So the debt we owe is to love everybody. The way that we're supposed to repay it, you get a picture of that from the law. Here's what it should look like. And now the problem is, how on earth am I supposed to do that? What am I supposed to do? I can't do that. I can't love that way. Um, I, I, I have a hard time with that. I'm going to grit my teeth and try to muscle through it. Well, when Paul says um, love is the fulfilling of the law, that is the last time in the book of Romans he's going to use the word law. That's the end of it. So it's, it's rather pointed when he says love is the fulfilling of the law, and I'm not going to mention the law again. But what he does do, where he goes next is he takes it to how we do that. How do we fulfill the law through love? Starting in verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer now to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone. Day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. End of the law is love. Now put on Christ and don't gratify the uh, desires of the flesh. So he says, let us cast off the works. Well, first of all, he says, the hour has come. Salvation now is closer than it was when we first believed. Now, when you first believed, you were saved. 
But what he's saying is salvation, the fulfillment of that promise is one day closer now than it was when you believed, when you first believed. So now if that's true in the first century, then it is three quarters of a million more days closer than it was then. Is today, is, is it time to walk in the light? Is it time to wake up if we're three quarters of a million days closer to Jesus' return than we were in the first century? Yeah, I would say it is. I think it's, it's time to pay attention. And so what Paul draws our attention to is how, what are the resources we have to fulfill that command? Because remember, he's been talking in this section since the beginning of chapter 12, he's been talking about sanctification. And he's saying how we do this. And remember what I said was God is at work to sanctify us. It's his work in us that he is sanctifying us. He is conforming us to the image of Christ. He is accomplishing these things in us. And one of the ways that he does that is by giving us these kind of commandments and telling us now go do this, but it's his work to do it. So he says, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Wake up Christian Now's the time. These are God's sanctifying commands. Put off that darkness. In context, that darkness looks like resisting the government, skipping taxes, disrespecting those in authority, wronging a neighbor, not loving everybody, sexual immorality, drunkenness, quarrelsome, jealousy. So he, he's saying it's time to put those things away. Now, this is not a call to perfectionism where you go, okay, um, today, I'm going to just buckle down and do this, and, and this is where I'm going to go. That That's not providing the resources to accomplish it, is it? It's just saying, now, go work real hard. I can't work real hard. If I could work really hard and accomplish that, I wouldn't need to be saved. I need resources. So how do we do that? In the context of God's working in us to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, this is what he's been saying since the beginning of chapter 12. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And at the time when we looked at that, I said that meant we, our physicality is part of what is being sanctified. Our physicality is something that we bring and we offer to God. It's not independent of our salvation. It's, it's involved in our salvation. So part of our calling is offer that body as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to the world. The world is exerting constant pressure to conform you to its image, to, to bring you in line with what it's wanting to do, its fallenness, its brokenness. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, that's that's a, a burdensome command, but it is a beautiful one because the end of it is wonderful. We have to resist the call of this world and transform our minds and renew them, make them new. And don't think more highly or lowly of yourself than you ought to. That was another thing he warned us. Don't, don't think that you're some great thing or that you're just beyond redemption or, or not savable. And then he says, let love be genuine. And that's where he's really been focusing now is letting love be genuine. So where are the resources here? How do we do this? I need the batteries to be included or I'm, I'm lost. And in the end, the very last section, he says, put on Christ. He, he says, you want to take Jesus Christ and wrap him around you like a garment against a cold, wet, and windy night. You want to put Jesus Christ around you, wrap him around you, and clothe yourself in him. And, and the reason for that is because we need his righteousness. Remember how the book of Romans began? You are justified through faith. You are justified. You have a foreign and alien righteousness applied to you 
through faith. It's Jesus' righteousness. You want to grab that righteousness and hold it around you and trust in that, not in your own. So put on Christ. So when Paul says in chapter 7, for I know that no nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what, right, what is right, but not the ability, the answer is put on Christ. I have the desire to do what right, what's right. I don't do it. What do I do? You grab Christ and you wrap him around you and you say, Lord, I am clothed in Jesus' righteousness. That's where I'm found. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to be saved from this? Put on Christ. Wrap his righteousness around you and hold it tight. Put on Jesus Christ. Chapter 3 again. None is righteous. No, not one. None does good. Not even one. What am I supposed to do if I'm not righteous, if I don't do good, if, if nobody does good? You put on Christ. You take his righteousness. You seek his righteousness. You seek that for yourself and you wrap yourself in that knowing then my call to work, my call to love others is absolute. It is thorough. It should look like how Jesus loves other people, but I don't do that. And so what you do is you have Jesus wrapped around you. You have his righteousness clothing you. And you say, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it haltingly, and I'm going to do it with reservation, and I'm going to grumble about it on occasion, but I'm going to do it because I know that this is not my condemnation, nor is it my salvation. It is simply what a man wearing these clothes looks like, what they should do, how they should behave. So one of the things you have to remember is this is, not a fulfilling of the law. This isn't where we're trying to go in and, and be good according to all these different laws. Instead, Paul heads to the root of the thing and says, love fulfills the law. That, that's your justification, is that Jesus has shown you the way and has shown you the capacity to love because love is the fulfillment of the law. So that's like I said at the beginning, Jesus said, don't think I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So if love is the fulfillment of the law and Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, that's why you want to wrap Jesus around you. And so Romans 10, for Christ is the end of the law. We don't look to the law and say, I'm going to do these things and I'll be righteous. You have the righteousness. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You've got it. It's yours. Romans 3.31, don't we, uh, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? So do we just go, oh, well, the law doesn't matter anymore. By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. But we're not doing it by our loving each other. We do it because Jesus has done it for us. So Romans 8, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. We could paraphrase that God has done what the law, weakened by my flesh, could never do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So that's, that's his command is put on Christ. Christ has done this. And now in the light of that, in, in the, in the, the reality of justification by faith alone, Make no provision for the flesh. So what he's saying is as you've wrapped yourself in Christ, as you've accepted that, that, that justification by faith alone, if you accepted his righteousness, don't hold a little bit back and say, well, I'm going I'm to keep this one little portion. 
I'm going to make this provision for the flesh. I'm going to do this one little thing because I still like it. He, he, what he's asking us to do is completely sell out to Jesus Christ, to absolutely, fully, and totally put our hope in him. Put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. It, this is not a call to asceticism either. Uh, one of the ideas is what this means is, boy, you can't do, enjoy anything. Um, everything in this world is corrupt, and so don't don't trust or believe or hope in anything. Um, put it all away. Well, that's not going to work when we go through the rest of the chapters, because Paul will talk about living in this world in a reality, not hiving off in some monastery out in the desert all by yourself. So put on Christ, wrap yourself in Christ, and and what Paul is actually calling us to do is to shift our alliances, shift our allegiance from the failing pleasures of this world to the surpassing beauty of Jesus Christ. And, and in that, when we've received the love of Jesus Christ, then we have the resources that flows out, that can pour out through us. When you realize you have been loved, then you can love more freely others. Um, that does not mean that you flip a switch and it happens overnight and everything's great. Our flesh has to unlearn patterns and relearn patterns. We have to learn to begin to trust, to say, I can give and not receive, and it's not going to kill me. I, I can share and not get repaid, and it's not the end of my existence. I have a treasure in heaven that's untouchable. Moths can't destroy, thieves can't break in. And when you have that kind of a treasure, then you can begin to release and you can begin to let go. So that's where you find the resources to pay what you owe and to love like you should. It's by, it's rooted in that essential truth that Paul has not stopped preaching, which is justification by faith alone. You have been justified. You are being conformed to the image of Christ. You are called to live in the new uniform that you have put on, which is Jesus. And so that's, that's what he's calling us to do. That's his desire. That's what he's, he's aiming for us to accomplish in giving these commands. Do these things. They're not options. They're not suggestions. They're not, you know, this would make your life a lot better. This isn't a self-help book. These are commands from the living God. Do this. And then he provides you the resources to go out and begin to do that, to work through that. So love the community of faith, love the other, and love the person that really bugs you. And, and know that you don't have to um, muscle it up, that Jesus loved you when, yet he was, when you were yet God's enemy. And he loved you not just by giving you something, but, but coming to earth, setting aside his glory and dying. And, and that's the, the kind of call that we have. That's the kind of love that we have received. Therefore, that's the kind of love we can pour out. Let's pray. Lord, would you convince us of this truth? Would you remind us um, again and again that we have been that deeply loved? That no one, no man surpasses love except for the man who would lay down his life for his friends. And Lord, we are your friends and you did lay down your life. And Lord, you didn't need to, you didn't have to. And yet you did. Lord, remind us when we are frustrated, when we're irritated, when we're not comfortable with somebody else, remind us of the deep love that you have for us and enable us, Lord, to show that love to others. And in doing that, Lord, it's, it's the fulfillment of the law. It's keeping the law because it's just trusting in you. It is completing the law by faith, not by works. 
Lord, it's a tall order. It is, it is a tall order, but we have the confidence of the Spirit, the, the guarantee, the down payment of the Holy Spirit in us. Would you accomplish these things in us, we pray in Christ's name.